Hey, Peace Nicks. Got a very special podcast today. My brother, lifelong friend, Matt Yeager, has joined us to tell his story about addiction and overcoming addiction and dealing with depression and the roads that led him and both of us into the world of drugs at a young age. We played music together. We've been in bands together. He just came down and visited me for a whole week. If you've listened to my podcast for a while, you may have heard me talk about a friend that I never mentioned by name who was going through a rough time with an addiction and was using drugs like fentanyl and had been you know, to the methadone clinic and things like that, and I was really worried about him. But he's come out on the other side. He looked so much better. He's back to being himself. I'm so happy, and I'm so happy he wanted to tell a story and be on the podcast. Unfortunately, we were going to do it in person, but... I got COVID before we got a chance to do it while he was visiting, and I was down for the count. So two days after he flew back home, we did it through Zoom. But I'm just so happy he came on the podcast. This is such a special episode. Thank you so much for listening. And um, some quick business. We talk about it on the podcast. We talk about Kratom and how much it's helped him. If if you use Kratom or you want to think about using kratom you can look into it kratom is an actual opiate but it is not a morphine derivative opiate it does not come from the poppy and there and it is a partial agonist so it is not as addicting as your traditional opiates and it is not going to mess you up nearly as bad and it is not you're not going to overdose and die from it it is a much safer opiate and you can go to happyhippoherbals.com they have a Huge supply of different veins you can order. They have shots. They have Kratom Taffy. Enter the offer code the piece, P-E-A-C-E, as in the piece on drugs, the piece 15. That's the offer code the piece 15 to get 15% off your order at happyhippoherbals.com. Also, if you want to try a hemp cigarette that doesn't taste like shit, that's their motto. Go to sugarcali.com. They have three flavors, original, vanilla, mint, a great substitute for a tobacco or nicotine cigarette. I highly recommend them. Go to sugarcali.com, enter the offer code PEACE15, PEACE15, P-E-A-C-E-15, get 15% off your order of hemp cigarettes. Okay, again, I'm so happy I got to do this episode with one of my best friends in the world, We've been in bands together. We've been friends together for over 20 years. And I'm so happy that he's telling a story. Like I say, you know, he went through a lot with addiction. And the fact that he's on this podcast talking about it, the fact that he came in down and visited it, it means the world to me. I'm so happy I got to talk to him. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Matt Yeager. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. Drugs are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem? So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. Are you down with talking about everything? Because I'm not hiding any of this shit. Um, I don't give. I don't care. Let's let's go. Let's talk about what we do. Yeah. So, uh, so you just came down and visited, and we were going to do a podcast live, which I was excited about because I don't get to do those often enough. You were just here right. for a week, but. I did um, what I usually do is wait till the end, procrastinate, and then I got COVID, and I was down for the count. COVID, yeah, yeah, it just hit us out I of nowhere. About a week and a half ago, so I feel like 
kind of bad if I brought it down to you guys, you know, but I've already said that. And uh, I know you, you gave us a warning. You were, you were, you had been, you had been past the five days. You, you, we didn't think you'd be contagious and you weren't, you didn't have any symptoms. And me and my wife were both triple vaccinated. So you'd think if those shots were worth a shit that we wouldn't catch it. I don't know what I think anymore, but I know that I had all three shots and I was super sick. Yeah, different strains. I can't I don't keep know. Up. I don't know if they yeah. know. I'll tell you this, that new medicine they have for it, though. I mean, I started taking it today's day three and I'm better. So it would you, you take what, what some kind of anti antiviral medicine that they give now? It's it's not yet FDA approved now, which I think it's funny because uh, I talk to the anti-vax people like my mom and I'm not hating on them anymore like I used to because now I, don't, I, mean, I have questions, but they're, they're, they were so skeptical about the anti about the vaccinations, but when they talk about the antiviral medications, that's also not approved. They're just like, yeah, this is out. Take that. That's way better. It's like, how do you know? Yeah. I mean, this is all new stuff to us. We don't know what the I hell mean, really, is about don't, don't you think it's all has to do with the lobbyists, you know, and like who's, who's pad whose pocket to what gets approved, you know, that's got to end up being some part of that. Yeah. I mean, that's how our country, that's how everything moves in this country is, is through money. If, if they put the money in the right pockets, you know, who got the contracts, Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, and I don't know how it all works. I'm not trying to pretend that I do, but. You've heard of Roger Moore, right? No. Or not uh, Roger Moore. Roger uh, Stone. Roger Stone. Yeah. yeah. They call him the first lobbyist. Oh yeah. Start that him and his law firm. Think what you will about that guy. But, uh, he, has, he has a big uh, tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. <laughs> That says all you need to know about that guy. <laughs> it does. And um, lobbying is destroying our country. But it's hey, man, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I had a blast, man. Like, uh, way, way more fun than I thought it would be. And uh, I know we have a good time, but the shows were fun. We did a couple shows. Yeah, played some shows. First time we played together, and we figured out, what, six, seven years? Yeah, man. That's, uh, that's the longest we've ever been before we met, you know? Yeah. Except for, you know, when we were born to when we met. <laughs> yeah, and we played <laughs> long time. Yeah, man. Yeah, I wish we had, had more time to work on original stuff, but we uh we got we got some work done and we got some some progress done on the direction of this next project. And um Well, I'll get logic, you know, uh, or I'll, you know, at least garage band and be able to send you the same files. I can send you the same files from what I have now, the band lab. Okay. Yeah, we'll so work we on some music. Stuff. Yeah, man. But yeah, so it was really good seeing you and getting you down here because I haven't seen you in forever. And, um, you know, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about that, too, about, you know, you you've went through some stuff with addiction and fighting an opioid addiction. And I've talked about you on my podcast, not by name, but I said, yeah, yeah. I have a friend that's just going through hell. And the fact that and I said, I said, when I'll know you're doing better when you come and visit me. And you are. Yeah. You, 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 you know, you and said that rang through. I kept thinking yeah. about that. And I just didn't know at the time when it was the darkest times, I was like. Why can't I just book the flight and do the, you know, just do the, oh, I got these jobs. I got to keep doing these jobs. You know, it's, uh, it was tough. It, it was tough. And it was great to come down and hear you say, man, you're back. You're back. You, you look good. Um, that, that means a lot, bro. That means a lot. Oh, yeah, dude. You really, you, you look like you've reversed aging since the last time I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. And, um, and just hang, getting to hang out with you. You're, you're the, one of the funniest people I've ever met, man. And you had me and Meg just cracking up. And that oh, last yeah, night, we, that last night, dude, <laughs> early on around the fire, like, I forget what I was saying. What was I saying about Elton John? Like, uh, the crocodile rock. All right, man, I'm going to go with you on this. But yeah, that was, <laughs> that was one of the highlights. We had a bunch of stuff, man. 
Uh, yeah, you got, we were listening yeah, to Beck. Well, we ate mushrooms. Oh, and, Beck um, was awesome. I forgot about Beck. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. We get to this one part of the Beck album when it gets really <laughs> like, it's just like this repetitive, weird moaning sound. But you, if you follow the music, and I have on a psychedelic, it takes you to this almost you feel like you're rolling around in the dirt and like this dirty trailer, but it's in, in a really just artistic way. But but if you just hear the song and you're not you're not sucked into it the right way, it just sounds like a bunch of bullshit noise. And I'm sitting there giving them props. They're like, wait, wait, don't give them a trophy yet. <laughs> like you're like, this yeah. is bullshit. And I and I see what you're saying because it's well, yeah, I was saying like every once in a while, even the greatest artist has to take a shit. And that was his his proverbial shit and, he took and, on the album. And again, I see because you you had got to the point where you were talking to Meg and then you came back to the song and it was that. But I, I was still into it from the song before, so I was still rolling Dude, around. I never stopped listening to songs. Even when I'm talking, never. <laughs> well, that was so yeah, much fun. What a landmark album, though, right? What he was able to do ahead of time. I know. That, again, but, one of the most psychedelic albums, and and you know, there's a lot of music from the '90s that we figured that has a lot of psychedelic sides to it. Like even Pearl Jam, we listened to verses, and it got yeah. into this really tribal drum pattern with Eddie. Yeah, kind of going yeah. that shit was cool, man. And you know, you don't I, got, think I about, have to look up and see who their drummer was on that album. I think it was Dave or Breezy. He's great. Whoever it was, he was awesome. This is cool because we don't think about like uh, Pearl Jam as being psychedelic, even Beck as psychedelic, but those two albums are very psychedelic. And I mean, Perry Farrell, if you think about Jane's Addiction, you don't think psychedelic, but they they have a lot of those elements in their music. And then you go to Porno for Pyrus, it's it's very psychedelic. Porno for Pyrus is his other band. And uh, I've been listening to the second album, like you told me to. I love it. It's awesome. It's so good. So good. So yeah, so we had a lot of fun um on the back in the backyard doing mushrooms. Well, we did mushrooms twice. Now the first night you did them, you got the full eighth. Got the full eighth. And uh I was I just felt like everybody was on a you know a different kind of trip, a happy trip. You guys were having such a blast. I didn't want to ruin the party and be like, man, I don't I'm not quite there. I just want to have a chill kind of thing, you know. So uh had to go get right, you know, go in the room, just kind of focus. It was funny because we were listening to the Flaming Lips record, the new one, and you were really digging it. But problem is, there was um, one of our friends was there, and he wasn't tripping, and and it kind of throws the vibe off when someone's just talking regular conversation, and then you're trying. And to Kevin get- is he's a good buddy, but he's hilarious. Like, oh yeah, awesome. But uh, there would be like, you know, how it is. You got you're talking, and then you're talking about one thing, and then he says something starts a different subject, and I'm just like, okay, whoa. <laughs> You know, it was, it was a lot to keep track of. And I think it's probably been eight years or more since I've done that. Yeah. So yeah. I thought I was ready. But uh, like you said, two nights after that, we went in and it was fun. Yeah. And we did less of a dose that night. We did about half of what we did the first time just to we did have, half have a little of what fun. We did the first night. Yeah. Did you give us way too much that first? Well, so my thing with mushrooms are, and I think, and I thought you were ready is, is they do, they help you, they help you grow and they help you transition. I know you've just come out of your addiction and you're, you've beat that and now you're on the upward path. And I feel like mushrooms are going to teach you something. And I think it did. I think that's why you had to get away from us and you came in the room by yourself. I agree with that. I agree because I told you, I felt like a part of me died. You know, I can't specify what that is. It was, it wasn't a good part because you go through hell, you know, when you have that bad trip, but you know, you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And then I just really have a different way of looking at it now. I've been real motivated since I've got back, so you know it's it's good to look at Florida and then come back here and see my reality, which uh, I'm always trying to improve. So I think it was gold for us to do that twice. That last one was like singing Jeff Buckley in the kitchen uh, with uh, with Meg was so much fun because she was like 
you know, I was like hit, kind of hitting some of the notes, and she knew all the words. I was like, you know all the words of this? So I was like, it's, it's little moments like that. We had a bunch of them done. Really good stuff. That was awesome. And the first night when you went into the room by yourself, I felt like you were just in there trying to sleep and wrestle. No, with it. I, I was, and I was worried about you. And I was sitting out there. And I was, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go. You left your headphones out there. It's like I'm just gonna check on you under the ruse of giving you your headphones back. And I was worried about. I'm mean, gonna forget that. So we don't have a spare room. The spare room is my podcast studio. So I, I put the bed in here. Yeah, right. So I opened the door and you're just laying like smiling with your head. And I looked around my podcast studio and realized it's the most psychedelic trippy room. I was like, this is the perfect room. If you're going to be by yourself to just lay back and relax in. Well, that pink elephant behind you, that's <laughs> yeah. the first thing I saw every morning when I woke up. It was awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Did you, the, the did you put on the 3d glasses while you were here? I don't think I showed you that. No, you didn't tell me about that. Uh, I have 3d glasses here. Every one of these tapestries is three dimensional. Maybe that's a good thing that first night. <laughs> Didn't have that. Who the hell is wrong with you getting a little close? <laughs> going up. Hey, hey I did leave my uh, little recording thing. Yeah, I got all that here. I'm, I'm going to the post office I'm tomorrow. Idiot, man. I I'm never flying out that early again, dude. That was so like, there's only choice I had, but you know, maybe next time. Yeah, it gets, Fly, gets the uh, morning flight at 6 a.m. from Punta Gorda. Whew. And we had a guy that almost had a stroke uh, two seats over from me. So when we landed, they had to get the EMTs on, and we were delayed like another 20 minutes to get off. But it was a good flight. Um, Jim picked me up. Good stuff. Awesome, I can't man. tell I was glad to be back home. Usually I am when I'm coming back from uh, Florida, but no. I uh, I, I really have fun, man. So Yeah, I, 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 yeah it was a great week. Too bad, ended, too bad it ended with us getting COVID. Um, we're still kind of coming out of it. Like I say, I'm, I'm pretty much better now. I'm just feeling a little um drained from oh. it's like sergeant pepper's ending with like a ringo song you know <laughs> nobody listening will get that but yeah we were uh our, our friend kevin brought up to our attention that sergeant pepper's is one of the greatest opening songs of any album and then it goes straight to a ringo sing singing lead on the song what would you do if i sang out a tune it's, it's, one, it's one of, of his best songs it's one of the best songs that he sings. Song, but, but I do agree that if it went straight into like Lucy in the Sky and if you saved that song for later on the album, it would have been a better fit. I don't know who picked that, but uh you would pick yeah. Lucy. I just feel like Lucy starts too slow. You know, it's just that hard. Well, I was just saying Lucy's the one after that, so you could just jump right into that. Or there's there's so many songs. But anyway, they did what they did, and that's the album. And it was just a funny thing Kevin brought up. And it was funny that you kind of got offended because you were like getting Ringo's back. You're like <laughs> It's because you're tripping and you're like, I like Ringo. This is a good song. I read a book on the way or, you know, part of a book on the way uh, the flight back. And it was uh, an interview. It's rock uh, critic interviewer from like 78 through like 90. Anyway, he interviewed George Harrison and Ringo. He said George Harrison was down to earth. Great guy. He said, Ringo, not so much. Really? He was a little big headed and pretty much a dick. Really? So it's all that shit I had to say about Ringo. Like, hey, man, I'm talking Ringo out the window bro <laughs> he's the luckiest man alive like, too, right like i felt like all night i was defending eddie I'm like there's no reason to defend eddie nobody said eddie's horrible yeah he just doesn't like fans driving their cars through his front gate of his house trying to kill him <laughs> so long yeah. ago, i don't think anybody remembers that he he was a recluse for like probably 10 years after that really could have yeah, could have been one of the albums could have been. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine being a star like that. If you had to, anywhere you go in public that you just have people walking up to you, just wanting to talk to you and take your picture. Like you're trying to eat dinner with your family. 
you're in a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band in California, and you go up to Seattle, and one of the biggest bands, the biggest band singer's dead, and you take his place, and you guys rock. His first show, he, he played completely turned around. He was back to the crowd. He was, it was, it was a transition for him. And then three shows later, he's hanging from the rafters. Yeah, I remember the band kept saying they thought they were going to lose their, their their whole band was going to come to an end when Eddie fell from the yeah. rafters. He would, yeah, he, he would be swinging from the rafters across these coliseums. Freaking crazy. Yeah. Love some Eddie. That was good. You made good album selections, man. I have to give it to you. Yeah, well, we uh, when it comes to, to psychedelics, you, you kind of feel the mood and, and you pick on. And, and, I, and I've been doing it enough now that I've found the Pearl Jam was an accident because I was just trying to think of something from our past that we used to play music from. So I picked Weezer Blue and Meg shot that down. So I was like, Pearl Jam. Was that versus, a tape for an album? See, uh, a record. Final. Yeah. Final. Yeah. Yeah. That right was a, Santiago actually left versus here for us. That was a good idea. Yeah, I had a time with that melancholy four disc thing. You know, <laughs> I don't recommend trying to find tracks on that when you're tripping, especially when they're all in a different order than what you're used to. And one of them was sealed. You said it was not open. It was definitely unopened. It was sealed. We, we listened to the whole thing. Yeah. No, like I, you listen to the whole thing when you got it. Yeah. Oh. Front, front to back. Is it still still worth something, even if you open it? Oh yeah. I mean, what's the difference? Like, if you don't open a record, is it a whole lot more? I honestly That's don't know. I'm a collector. I've not sold any. I just keep collecting them. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> and sure. I, I gotta say, dude, your collection is like insane. You had a really good like so, like diversity, but I didn't see one I wouldn't listen to, except That's for probably. Up. We got a bunch yeah. of old, we got a bunch of old like Southern rock in there, like Marshall Tucker Band, which is it's great music. Yeah. Stuff I wouldn't put on though, it's, it's just not my shit. Yeah. But we got we got to handle a lot of that. Will Will gave us his dad's collection, and we just got a bunch of stuff like that. But most of the stuff we bought, and the stuff we bought, I think we had to have to really, really. Yeah. You know, and I know you sometimes you go in places and you get like five dollar deals or seven dollar deals, and you will grab some up. I'm just saying, I hope I don't step on any toes, but you know, Jim Croce's not going to be my first pick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. He wrote Cats in the Cradle, right? Or was that Harry, no. Harry Chapin? Hey, yeah, that's Harry Chapin. Anyway, so moving on, we want to talk moving. about what do you want to talk about? Well, like talk, talk about some addiction, man. Like, I think your story could really help some people. And, um, I think I got a unique perspective. Yeah, because I mean, you and I let's let's go back to our past. Let's let's go way back. We met a Thank trailer. We met. I was living at a trailer, and I, if you listen to my podcast a lot, you've heard me talk about this trailer. There was. Um, my roommate was selling pot. Uh, we were the the we were the, at the uh, blah blah blah. The high school that I went to, all the kids that smoked pot with us at high school, we had all just graduated, and a lot of the kids in our high school went off to college. Me and a few of my friends that didn't go off to college, we moved into this trailer together. One of my roommates sold pot, so everybody that we went to high school with who had graduated and didn't go off to college came by and bought pot from us. The kids that still went to school there would come when they got out of school to buy pot from us. And the kids that went off to college when they were home on vacation would come and buy pot from us. So it was the biggest hangout from our, from all the people that went to our high school and other and high schools I'm, as well. I think I met Randy through uh, Duval. I think Duval yeah. introduced me to Randy. So I was just coming over to uh, get a little 20, 20 or something, you know, that's, yeah, if you know Duval, then that's probably where, cause he was a regular there. And um, but yeah, you came to buy a pot from my roommate. And I remember you said my, my guitar was standing up against the door and it just you knocked right into it because it was putting it was laying in the floor. <laughs> you know, my memories is, is fading these days, but no, it was laying in the floor. The door hit it. Uh, 
man, I was like, oh my God, it's an ovation. You know, it's a nice guitar. Whose guitar is this? You know, and he's like, that's my roommate Aaron's guitar. So basically what happened was I brought it back to I was like, dude, you know what you have here? And you're like, yeah, I guess my uncle gave it to me. Uh, your uncle, uncle Tom gave it to you, right? Yeah. Well, he yeah. let me borrow it and, let let you borrow it. It. and I gave it back to him unplayable. I gave him another so guitar how, since then. How I remember it is you, uh, you play three songs and uh, two of them were covers and they were, they were decent. And one of them was an original song and it was really good. And you were 19 at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, okay, or eighteen. I was eighteen. I want to play some music with this kid. I don't care if he's got any other songs. I had my four track at that time. We'll get into what happened to that, but we had that. And we started recording that song and best friends, man. We just kind of hit it off. Had a lot in common. Yeah. Set me apart. Yeah, that's about it. Been playing music <laughs> and doing drugs ever since. I remember our first band that we tried to start. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. It was you, me, Rusty, and it was two stories. Two stories because we were like yeah. we have each yeah. have a story. Is that tell. you don't know when we went to the uh, old house recording studio? Yep, yep. And um, but I remember our drummer Rusty. He was more of a straight edge, and he was a really good drummer. But he remember he he told us, and this is kind of just how immature we were. Um, but he said, he said, could you imagine if we do this project, but we do what? it with a straight head without drugs? And then yeah. my response was, well, what if we added even more drugs to the mix? How much more crazy could we make? project and that's because i think a lot of times we get influenced by our by the music that we listen to and we think that it was such a party and out of a crazy party came you know it was kurt cobain's drug use that led to nirvana when that really wasn't what happened right kurt cobain was was driven to music separate than his drug use his drug use ended up getting in the way of the music and ultimately destroyed the music Stardom is when he really became a dr- like a drug addict you know yeah exactly he did stuff every day just about when they toured europe for bleach but stardom is what the pressure and that and that came you know Exactly. So, I, so I think, but I think we misinterpret what what it means. Like, like the idea is, if we would listen to Rusty and, and been sober and really had our head on, that doesn't mean that you can't smoke a little joint for inspiration or do whatever you do when you're not working on music. But working on music sober, getting well, successful, then it's then, not like we lost our, our all our abilities when we smoke. We're talking about pot here. We're not talking about getting drunk and then you know smoking pot. Uh, and the whole the whole ridiculous thing about it is Rusty used to be the biggest head I knew, and it was only like two years earlier than that. I'd go to Rusty's house. He always had it. He always had the weed. We smoked in our band room. We had a band at that time with uh, Nathan Bedell, Woolard. Bedell, man. Um, <laughs> got bubble guts. Uh, so what ended up happening is Rusty got in trouble one day, and he totally sold me out. He told his mom, said, that's Matt's. So every time I came over and she smelled that stuff down there, she go, Matt, you need to call your daddy, you know, get out of here. <laughs> you know, like she never believed it. I, I didn't have any argument to make it that time, but um, man, he was a bigger head than I'd ever been. So for him to tell us, you don't need that. How about you listen to us play on it first and then we'll go from there. Yeah. 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 We're just looking for a little inspiration. We want like a man. I got to have this well, short. The boy. biggest problem that we had with our drug use was, was, and honestly it was alcohol ended up being the biggest problem with drugs I had because alcohol it was. It that became, set us back more than anything. It did. Because when I, when I would get high or if we had some Adderall or, or some Vicodins or something like that, I would use those drugs and immediately want to be creative. But if I got drunk, I immediately didn't. I wanted to go try well, to socialize. And talk, socialize. Yeah. And, and also because I was kind of antisocial. I know you were when you were that young also in a way, but kind of introverted, trying to be more extroverted. Alcohol was a real, a, a very uh, easy medicine to change you from being introverted to be a little more extroverted. And both of us. Yeah. 
wanted that to meet girls to talk to you know people to, to become more popular so throw some alcohol on it and boom we're talking we're, we're you know and i feel like i missed a lot of that in high school i was so high all the time i was so introverted writing my but songs you, you got caught up so fast because like you remember not long after we met it feels like i got that little open mic deal at jack mason's and i remember you were a little hesitant getting up there to play your songs but once you did everybody loved it you know you Not remember everybody. The, I remember the bartender, the guy that played before me was awful. And she's like, thank God someone else. And I went up to play my song and it was one of my originals, which were very sad and, and drawn out. You know, they weren't developed they were. as much. It was a phase, right? Yeah, it was. I, as soon as I started playing and singing, I heard her go, oh, fuck. <laughs> Just like she was immediately disappointed. But so, the people well, that are here listening it, knows Aaron, uh, how Aaron, how good he sings, how great he sings now. It's just phenomenal. Back then, he was stuck trying to find his voice. So there were like flashes of like greatness. And then there was some times like, hell, I have them all the time now still, you know, like where it just didn't sound like my best. But uh, you were very young and you turned into a great singer. So. And that's what was cool about it. I think as I started young enough to where I didn't mind the criticism, like if I would have started as an adult, I would have just been like, yeah, this ain't for me. But I was so young. Right. And also I had people like you and people that were there to see me specifically that weren't sitting there going, oh, shit, they were digging it. So that's who I went for. I was, like, I, I was always encouraging you no matter what, because I knew you were gonna, it was going to click one day, you know. And then I remember uh, you scared me, what, at Boardwalks. You were thinking about quitting music. Did you say something like that? Like I around said that, that time? Throughout my life. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what made you think that, you know, but man, we were, we had fun and we played some great open mics, man. And you got some good people out there to play. Yeah. That, that was a, that, those years were great. 07, 06. They good were years. great, but we did turn it into a, a party before we had done the music to deserve the party. We were oh, celebrating boy. something before it happened. Boy, do we have some stories, you know? We, we could all get together when we're like 60 and write a memoir of all of us. And it's called like, you know, Keystone and whatever, all of us together. It'd be a hell of a book. We got to do a memoir. It'd be in fiction because people wouldn't believe it. They'd be like, you guys that do all of this, this is insane. I mean, I remember the one time we were playing at a just a cover bar called Boardwalk Billy's in, in Charlotte. Someone gave me some ecstasy. So I eat ecstasy before <laughs> the show. And, and man, I tell you, once the ecstasy hits Wait. your bloodstream, you're just like, oh, I feel so good. And um, and I'm just my jaw is just uh, grinding back. <laughs> I remember and I'm I'm playing and singing my heart out, thinking we're sounding the best ever. And Matt's looking at me like, you know, eh, it's not bad. Like, like you got the energy right, but you're a little too much. But then Mark, who's our sound manager at the time, he's older than us, and he, he comes up to us and he's just like, Aaron, I don't know how much cocaine you've done tonight, but your jaw, <laughs> you need to get that under control. It's like I haven't done any cocaine, man. I'm like, no. he's like, oh, it we're all a lot of best with it, you know, as they yeah. did back then. I remember uh, taking one, having a kind of a bad trip. It had too much mescaline, and I was going to that Pink, Pink Floyd Laser Light Show at Discovery Place. Oh yeah, that's, that's it cool. was uncool, bro. I was like ready yeah. to go. Really? And I was with a girl, so I had to play cool. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm good. You know, like seeing this pig, this pig is like coming to eat my face. But uh, yeah, man, like uh, I thought you were gonna go in that time that we, uh, what was it? I think it was an open mic we played with Omar. The, the only time that, and I've done this a bunch of times, that you showed up and you were only able to do a few songs with us, or maybe as the day, the night progressed, you were drinking OJ and, and vodka, was it? That was our show. I just couldn't play halfway through. Y'all had to play without me. Yeah. I was so fucked up. And then we were just going to like jam and you're like, no, you can't jam. And I'm like, no, we're going to jam, you know, and then you started playing Santa Monica. Yeah, I'm still dreaming of your ghost. 
<laughs> I remember once, and y'all were doing a free jam, just a jam without me because I was too fucked up. And then at some point, I heard the free y'all style, and I was like, I'm just gonna go up there and make up lyrics and just sing over the top of it. And I ran up on stage and just started oh my God, kind of like screaming into the mic. And the the manager just walked up <laughs> and just looked at us and just shook his head. It's like this is a train wreck. <laughs> it was like Mars Volta when they were like, you know, teenagers with a bad PA. We just yeah. And me with no near, near nearly vocals that that guy has. No, that was one of the first gigs, but hey, we played probably a hundred after that or more. They booked us back, partly because we worked there, but friends <laughs> with the people. But now that was so much fun though back then. So, so anyway, though, yeah. So, so our drug use led to um, let us down some some fun roads, but also some dark roads. And maybe we should, should we talk about what drugs I was I was doing for. For instance, yeah. back then during that time. Yeah. Um, and the reason I left, it was uh, we love to drink. You know, you work in a bar, you drink. You, you know, this is what you do. You get off and get turned into getting off, getting double jack and cokes. And then I just have to have some blood. I would have to have some blood. Have to do that. And that's all I did pretty much. And the occasional like blunt be passing around, I'd hit that, you know. Yeah, the alcohol and cocaine. But and I mean, pills were not in the picture. That was not a thing. Last thing you want to do in Daytown or that area, you don't want to get Xanax. You know, those are downers, man. It's a downer, bro. But uh, so it's always about getting back up. You get drunk and they're like, "Up, oh, fix it. Here's Mister Fix It. Get right back up." Yeah. And then that was a that was a negative thing for me. After I remember a while, when we worked at Boardwalks, every time there was a guy in the kitchen. I um, won't say his name. Um, but <laughs> he, uh, he he yeah. was he would work in the kitchen and he'd sell coke and and you would. We, well, we'd all sit there and get drunk, and then we'd go back in the kitchen and be like, yo, yo we need to get, you know, go holler at your boy. And and um, if they were too busy, though, he'd be like, I'll, I'll get you when I can get you. I remember many times we'd get smashed, and you just sit there by the kitchen door waiting for him. For If it was an hour, it didn't matter. You were not moving until he came out of that kitchen. And I'd be like, well, he's not going to be out for a while. It's dinner rush. So we'd go. we just go keep drinking and go on the paddle boats. You would just sit in there and wait. Like, I, like, like I can't function. Well, I don't think, Ben, we had our guy um... – it was named after the cartoon character. No, we did not. You know, I'm talking about, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, he no. was my guy, and, and it was so bad. It was so unfair. I would pester him and pester him until he finally came through. And then I'd complain about the quality of it, you know? Oh, because yeah, well, it, it wasn't good, though. And you know what's funny is I ran into it a few, man, a few years ago. Alcohol is the worst drug for me. Alcohol is. I remember a few, a few years ago, I ran into the uh, cartoon man, and um, it was when I was living back there, and I hadn't seen him in years. And I was like, "Yo, what's up? Do you are you still in the game?" He's like, "Yeah." So I got a bag. I got a bag from him, and I tell you what, it was the the best shit I'd done in forever. I think and, my base base this guy. He still uh, deals with him on that. So. Well, the, the the funny thing was, I got a bag from him. hadn't got one years. He gave me his number again. Gave me a bag. It was the best shit I'd done in forever. But that's how they operate. Like I haven't seen him forever. Let me give him one of the good bags, so that way get him back in the loop. And then it's gonna be back to having shit. That's how they work. They they're gonna that's have how, yeah. It gets you back with it, right. That yep. goes for any drug. Yep. Any drug. Any drug dealer. I remember when I was in New Orleans, man. I, this random guy came up to me. He was like, "Yo, I got that blow." I was like, "I'll buy some, man, but I want to try it first. I was hammered. So I go, I follow him in the bathroom stall. He pulls out a baggie and I tried it. It was fucking great. I was like, all right, I want it. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to sell you out of this bag. Though. I'm going to sell you out of one of these. They're all the same. I was like, nah, man, I'm buying the one I'm trying out of. He's like, well, then that'll be 10 more dollars. I was like, no problem. And I paid more, but I and got that's good the shit. Thing. We didn't mind paying extra if you just give me the good shit. You know, like, <laughs> don't give him, 
handing me this baby laxative that I'm gonna have a big problem with later, and I'll be able to hang out. You know, give me right. good stuff. Also, I'm not trying yeah. to put bullshit powder up my nose that I don't need. Just give me the shit, and I'll pay and more some for of it. it was real bullshit, right? Yeah, it was, but I remember the one night with the uh, what was calling the cartoon man. I was living with Will, and uh, and I, we, we were both really drunk. I was like, Will, I'm getting a bag of blow. It's on the way. And Will's like, I was like, Will's like, give me three bags. I was like, three bags, He's like three bags. I was like, fine. So I get four bags of blow. Now you got to admit, these aren't four grams. You know, these are bullshit grams, but there's still a lot of blows, four bags. So I buy four, four bags. bags. Grand each. They were a gram each for there's They were supposed to be. We never weighed them. I guarantee there's probably right. like a half or something, but either way, right. four bags. And when, by the time he shows up, Will's passed out. So I dump all four bags out on the table and, and I try to get Will up. He won't wake up. So I just start doing blow by myself. And then I start, you know, what happens when you break out the recorder and you're going to try to write and record a song when you're all jacked. It takes forever to do accomplish anything, to get one thing down, to get it perfect. And I sat there till 11 o'clock the next morning, did every bag of blow that, that we ordered by myself. I couldn't even get Will to throw in on it because he didn't do any of it. I did all oh, yeah. Will's house. Yes, when I live with Will. And then the worst part is doing that much blow and then the sun coming through the curtains in the morning and you're trying to fucking go to sleep you got to work at nine o'clock the next night <laughs> that's too early i had a similar experience at wills where i was there all day by myself with just half beer some of them with cigarettes in them you know i'm like trying to find a beer because you know that's to come down yeah but i had blow and i was by myself and that's a bad scenario just it a is. bad look but you mentioned it uh, you know writing on uh on blow or coke or whatever we've only wrote a handful of songs me and you together but we did get one accomplished that one night I don't think Winter's we drink a lot. Winter's Kitchen. That's the only one that we really accomplished on um, on Blow. And I think it was cool because we had a we had a cool concept. I, I was reading a lot of Billy Collins at the time, which is to take mundane things and make them make them you know put life in them. So I took something real mundane, like let's write a song about the refrigerator. So we had yeah. there we had the context, and we just wrote. So the chorus was um, it was if you're feeling empty, I can replace what's gone. You found your closest company has burned everything you've loved. Talking about the stove, that's, cooking everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? You will always run, but you'll never catch the day. That's the whole is refrigerator running joke was in there. Keeping you around for your frozen cold water trays. And then you said traits at the end. Frozen water traits. And yeah. oh, then there was um, something about holding the pictures as if I could forget because there's pictures on the fridge. It was all I just mean, like it sounded like a serious fuck you love home, song, but, but man, it was just was a- really cool lyrics in there that like to, to do that kind of uh we're trying to, you know, we call that analogy, you know, metaphor or simile. Like we were it yeah. was great the way we worded it. Yeah. Because people man. think it's a love song immediately, you know. Exactly. And that was the idea is just to disguise it. Cause if you you don't want people to know it's a song about a fridge, but at the same time you do because when they, if they kind of get it, it's kind of cool. But it, that, that's the thing is we had a direction. So the cocaine worked that night, but for the most part, I find cocaine just drives you, crashes you in the walls before you can take the, to- take the turn. It's a celebratory to- drug. It's not good for innovation. It's not, it's not. And I find like opiates are, are both like most of the time opiates can add, I can actually add a lot of creativity, but over time it, I feel like it destroys creativity. Once you've graduated from Vicodin and Percocet to harder things, like powder, fentanyl, things like that. Those things are not productive at all. Yeah. You cannot write and make anything good because your brain is such a sl- working so slow. Yeah. yeah, I found this out the hard way. So, yes, that's why cannabis is always my go-to. It. I don't think it. Um, it it doesn't like. For me, it doesn't create new, like completely new ideas. It kind of takes ideas I already have and just makes them a little more fluid, and I'm able to work with them a little better. Uh, psychedelics sometimes have breakthrough. Um, 
things. But I do find sometimes that the dreamy world of a mild um, opioid, like like a Parker said, back in the day, at least it would open up some creative doors that I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. I wrote a mini as a finished mini, mini song on that. Cause you just, it gives you that. That's why it lies to you. It's such a slippery slope with it. Cause it, it does make everything just feel all right, man. It just kind of fix it. And, and the doctor explained to me that I went to see about Suboxone. He said, there's three types of people. He's got people that can take this and take it for their pain that they have. And when that pain is gone, they take it and they never want it again. They never need it. And then you got your ones like myself, take it. And it, something goes off in your head. And you're like, Oh my God. I've never felt like this good in my life. It's free. When this comes back around, I want some more of this, you know? Yeah. And then luckily I didn't seek that till later in life and have a problem till that was first time I had it would have been 12, 13 through a dentist. And then uh, 20, 30, 32 is when I started taking uh, the harder stuff like Roxy's, you know, Roxy Codone. And so Roxy's is where you first started getting like your actual addiction where you had withdrawals. Yeah, because those are strong. It started out taking a quarter of a 30, which is nothing, you know, to, to an addict. Um, but that got me messed up. And, you know, I knew, okay, this is going to be a problem. I might need to slow down, but it just never quite happened. You know, it just felt, I got. I can't lie to you, it just felt incredible. Because it was a Percocet, but without the Tylenol, and it was small, and it was fairly affordable. And, man, it fixed any situation. But what, what happens when you do that is you lose all your coping. All your coping skills go out the window because you got Mr. Fix-It right there. Yeah. And the crap, you, you guys, you know, the crap we have to go through to hunt it down when it's not around and you need it. The poor thing is you don't just need it for your brain. You need it for your body with opiates. Mm-hmm. Opiates are double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. I know at the same time you were going through that, I was starting my Vicodin addiction and, um, and I'm I'm thankful that mine only got as hard as Vicodin. That I had a my, the person that was giving me Vicodin was just giving them to me because they had a big supply, so I didn't have to pay for them. That's what I got addicted to. I didn't have because had I had I had to start looking for it from other places, Roxy's would have been what was available way more than Vicodin. So I, I would have found that, and then my tolerance would have got higher. And then what happened with you is what happened with almost anybody who got addicted to Roxy's is you found Roxy's in short supply. In, that, in the mid 2000, what, 2013, 14, they started to become less and less frequent on the streets because the government put a stop to the prescriptions. Well, I also got a more of a tolerance. See, I think it'd be good to go back and talk about when I moved down. Okay. I moved down with you in 2012. I don't know why that I couldn't tell you that I had, I'm coming down. Hey, I ate my last Roxy on the way down there. And I, I didn't know. I don't know why I didn't know the research, do the research to find out that I'm going to go through some withdrawals and it's going to suck. But what made it better was, you know, we were out playing shows. It was Florida. We were drinking, you know, that kind of hit it. But, man, I went through some dark times and I detoxed that whole time. And I didn't tell you, man, because even though you're my boy, I didn't want you to be ashamed of me because that's how our society shames people that have drug addictions. And I felt ashamed about that and I couldn't talk to you, but I know I could have talked to you and, and you could have, it would have been a lot easier for me, you know? Definitely. I mean, and honestly, I wish you would have, because I was just starting my addiction. You know, maybe if you would have talked to me about yours, I could have helped you to yours and then maybe never got into mine. I've been like, oh shit, this is what's happening. I, I, remember, I remember I started kind of getting a few from your hookup, you know, you know, and you found me another hookup because you were out, you'd ask everybody. <laughs> But you said one day, I think we were going to look at the, uh, uh, we're going to trails or something where there's a small alligators were. And you said, uh, hey, man, you got to ease it up, man. That's my hookup. 
know, we yeah. got so many of them, you know, he's up. I was like, whoa, bro, I don't know anybody else, you know. Because, <laughs> like, one, it, it literally was probably three, two, two or three months. Well, the first time we got up with uh, that person. Yeah. yeah. I think I've already went a month or something. But uh didn't want to talk about it. You got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. But the problem is, is the stigma in our, our society now makes you feel like shit, makes you feel like you're a lesser human being. When it comes to opiates, you know, heroin, things like that, these people say, and they send you to methadone clinics. They see the horrible places. It gets you on another drug. I mean, Suboxone is one of the worst things you can take. And if it does help you, though, and it keeps you off of street drugs, I, I would you say it's a, it's better than being on street drugs with the current situation not with the streets? I would. I would. Yeah, I would. I, I would prefer there's one. You got Suboxone. You got Subutex. Subutex is, doesn't have the uh, the blocker. So you can still take drugs that you're used to and get high on Subutex. You know, I'll oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Well, Suboxone, it blocks it. So you, you literally cannot get high of anything. Gotcha. Yeah. It does give you a similar buzz, but it stops some other things. They're having a lot of success in Canada, but only allowing it. And last I read about this is in smart areas is with Dilaudin. You feel with Dilaudin because it's a much more enjoyable high. I think it's, it's, it's hydromorphone, maybe. Is it Dilaudin? Because when I had Dilaudin, I was 15 and the dentist gave it to me because I had all those root canals. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a frame of reference, but oxymorphone, which on the street is called. Pandas, yeah, what is Opana, it? Opana. Opana. That is some dangerous stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, it's got morphine and other stuff. I've done it, and I, I would. That's the highest I've ever been on any opiate besides fentanyl. And, and that's fentanyl was a lot faster yeah. acting. The opana lasted for a lot longer, and I was almost just as high. I was nodding out. Like that's crazy. what that was my my mountain. It was Roxy's than the opanas. We're talking about opanas, eighty dollars a pill. Like, this is just insane, man. This is how people go broke. And then I graduated to fentanyl. There's a liquid version. Someone came to work in uh, the same building that, that we worked in, and uh, we hit it off. And I had no idea. But the guy, he had a little Afro bottle, you know, that you take for your uh, clogged up nose. And um, we found out that we both like to do opiates. And this fentanyl, man, it was like starting all over. It was like taking that first perk when you were like whatever age, you know, and it worked for a good while. I was functioning and handling my job, doing my thing and feeling freaking amazing. You know, I remember that, but, that was because that was right when I was going through my withdrawals in North Carolina because yeah, I had moved up there. I'd stopped taking it cold turkey, but every once in a while I would hit you up and like help me find something because I need because I just need something some days. And I would was that around the same time? Yeah, I, I, I would take an oxy and I would make it last two or three days and then I'd try to quit again. And it was when you came to me with the fentanyl, you were like, it's as much as we want whenever we want it and it's affordable. And that's when I decided to quit completely because I just did, I was trying to get off anyway. That's why I moved up there. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna go through it. And I faced so the flu and I fucking stopped. And that was the last of my addiction. I'm not the last of doing opiates, and I always tell people that because I, I'm not an abstinence only person and I do believe. That if you can, if that's how you want to live and that's better for you, by all means, be that. But for me, I still enjoy an opiate here and there. And when my jaw was broken, had the hospital known I was a previous opiate addict, they would have given me zero uh, painkillers, uh, opiate exactly. painkillers. But I, I didn't tell them that. And so they gave me two prescriptions of Percocets for two weeks each. And they offered me a third one. But I, by then my jaw wasn't hurting bad. So I didn't take it. I was like, no, I don't want to get back there. So I just 
quit. So it was like, but any addiction specialist would tell you that's impossible. Would say I'd be right back into my addiction, but I wasn't because I'd been through it and I didn't want to go through it again. You know? Yeah. You, you, you made a smart move, man, because things could have been a lot different if you would try fentanyl. I know you would have loved it. Yeah. And it was, it was different, you know, winning your body different than like the powder. Um, and it was so cheap. We're talking about 40 bucks for a couple oh, days. Supply. A couple days. Wow. It's way cheaper than anything else. You know? And, that and like up. I said, it was like starting over, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you take a break. It's like, oh, it's not quite like it was the first time. This was incredible. Yeah. But when you're, I, th- I think this is a good, good time to go to, you know, opinions on why people are become addicts. And, and my opinion is this, any certain psychiatric have neurosis, you know, they have things in their life, depression, things like that. And they self-medicate. And I believe that's what I did. I truly did that my whole life. You know, I wasn't addicted to one, one thing, you know, before the opiates, but I like to let, I always had a little something here, a little something there to keep me going, you know? To give that that ASC that altered states of consciousness, you know, just to change the way I'm thinking. It was my coping skills, you know. I didn't have coping skills. That was it. Just find a little bit of that, drink some beer. And when yeah. I found the fentanyl, I was like, boom, that was all I needed. That was it. Yeah, you're always trying to find that uh, the inner peace that you couldn't find. And and I've been there where you're chasing it. And I and I've I've seen it with you with alcohol. Alcohol, the problem with alcohol is it'll lead to inner peace for a short time, but there's a very small window when you start getting Oops. over the hump of being drunk and now you're you're don't you want to chain smoke cigarettes or pick beer the fourth beer and the fifth beer you know it's like yeah there's two different people you know exactly and you take a drug like an opiate and you can take it and you can be even keel inner peace have like feel that joy for hours on end depending on each opioid it's different and lasts different lengths but and that's the i think that's one thing opioid addicts uh, find that other people don't need people that don't enjoy opiates don't make sense to me but i've met many people who just don't yeah. like the way they that's make what my doctor said he said some people take it they don't want to feel that you know it don't work for them but my thing was always this man's like i thought since i was young is like this is something that makes me feel great why can't this be legal and they put it in a safe give it to me in a safe administered in a safe way to where i can be have to take a small dose a day to just get you know be where i'm at and they're doing things now like with ketamine, special, they used to be called Special K, mm-hmm. um, and it's making it affordable now. And this is for PTSD, it's for depression, and my mom suffers a lot of that. I've talked about maybe getting her into the program and trying it with her. You know, it might not be a bad thing, man. It's something yeah. we had a little experience with back then, and um, I don't want to go to a K-hole or nothing, but yeah. Well, that's what it is, actually. See, the K-hole is mis- mis- um, there's some misinformation there because when we were growing up, we were told you didn't want the K-hole. The K-hole is when you go into another dimension on ke- ketamine. And when you do the clinics you're talking about, that's exactly what they do is they put you into a K-hole. They, 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 you know, I didn't read into it enough. I need to, but they keep you there. They keep you there. You go into a whole other dimension. And I've heard different people talk about it. They say it can be extremely transformative. And you come and they, you, have, you have to take off work the whole day. You have to do it twice a week. Like there's a certain, they put you on a plan. It's for, for here that you had to pay up front. It was $4,000. And I thought about doing it. And I just, I felt like I, I'm not like I deal with my depression, how I deal with it. And I feel like for me, I was like spending $4,000 gives me something else to be depressed about. I just, I don't feel like, I, I feel like it needs to be more affordable right now. It's an elite, um, uh, uh, I'll double check on it. And I'll send you the link again. But to me, it read 153 bucks, and you can get in there and get started. But you got to take a. Uh, they got to talk to you first. Right. See is you it, this was in Atlanta. This is uh, not Atlanta. Atlanta's the one that was really expensive. 
this one popped up on my phone when I was down visiting you. So I'm yeah. thinking maybe there's something low. They have them all over the country, they said. I'll look into it. But the one I looked into did have some a little bit of uh, confusing advertisement that was like you could you could do sessions for like 150, but you had but when I went in and talked to him, you had to do the four thousand dollar program up front and then one thing might just be the, the you know the session or like just the consultation fee, right? And then you got to pay thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'll look into it. But honestly, I mean, for me, I find mushrooms help me a lot. When I have my my mushroom trips, I really usually come out feeling a a lot of positivity from them. And they said that these uh, places that have decriminalized psychedelics are having the same, if not better, um, uh, they're having more positive results from people doing psychedelic drugs like psilocybin mushrooms versus ketamine. Ketamine is also addictive. Ketamine has its own set of problems. But the reason ketamine's now available everywhere is because it was already FDA approved for medical use. So they were able to easily transition it from a drug that they used during surgeries to a drug they used to help um, people with depression. Whereas psilocybin is a schedule one substance with no medical value from the FDA. So they they're not, it's a lot harder for them to open up a psilocybin clinic versus. Is Ibogaine, is Ibogaine, does that have psilocybin in it? Cause it is a psychedelic. No, it's a, it's a completely different psychedelic than um, psilocybin. I've never done it, but they say it's, a, it's not in the same class. It's a com- completely different experience and actually can help rewire the brain from things I've yeah. read, but also can have more negative impacts. Like if you have heart problems, it could potentially cause a heart attack where psilocybin and LSD cannot. So, um, so it needs to be monitored a little better. It's, and you know, a funny story about why Ibogaine is a schedule. It's one illegal substance. in the U.S. It's a schedule one substance. So you know who's to blame? It's ridiculous. It? No, it's, it's, it's Hunter S. Thompson's fault. Yes, he just went on a he went on a rant and he was talking shit about. I, I don't know if it was Nixon, but it was it was one of the candidates that he was talking shit about, and he. He basically said this guy's a, he called him an Ibogaine addict and nobody had heard of Ibogaine. He didn't know what the hell it was. He said he's an Ibogaine. There's no such thing. No, there's not. If you just call him Maybe Hunter S. Thompson would take it every day, but not your, <laughs> right. But he just threw that label at this candidate. So the candidate looked into it and had to, had to denounce the claims that he was an Ibogaine candidate. And it was because of that that they put it on the Schedule One substance, which I'm, I would like to think Hunter S. Thompson wouldn't have said if he would have known that would have happened. But he also didn't give a lot of fuck. Well, I, I read several different sources on percentages, and the percentage of people here in America that get better, they, they get clean and stay clean, is only six percent on opiates. Yeah. And down in Mexico is where they have the ibogaine clinics. They monitor you for seventy-two hours, so they take care of you. And those people relapse, but over I think over fifty percent, forty percent, or fifty percent never touch it again. And that's that's a big difference. That's and I think awesome. it's worth our government looking into that and like making it safer if they can. You know, I believe I believe they are they are looking into it. But uh, I see a lot of things in our country right now are happening on state levels. The federal government is just not really budging, and that's because they move so slow. Because every bill, like the Moore Act that just passed in the in the House about cannabis, then when the, the Democrats pass the Moore Act, well, then the Republicans go, "Well, if you're going to pass that, we want some crazy new gun lo- control stuff attached yeah, to that bill." Yeah, it's a piggy, piggyback laws, and then it won't pass because each side put too much garbage that has nothing to do with the original bill. So that happens constantly. But the states are passing like cannabis. Cannabis is a Schedule One substance that the, the FBI could kick down any business they wanted to. But because of a law Obama passed saying that we're just going to let the states do what they want on that, states are legalizing cannabis. States are decriminalizing drugs. States are decriminalizing psychedelics. And states are allowing Because our generation is starting to be the leaders. They're taking over D.C. slowly but surely. Exactly. And most of them um, at least understand cannabis as being 
and not a threat to, to our social fabric. And when they realize we were lied to about that, they're saying, well, what else have we been lied to? And I'll tell you one thing, I don't give a fuck what you think about methamphetamine, crack or heroin. If you are doing it for your own personal use, you're not a criminal. doesn't matter what the drug is. If it's your own, that you are not a fucking criminal. I agree hundred percent. I agree that it goes back to our rights, what we do in our own home or you know, whatever. It shouldn't be illegal, for, first of all. There's just too many things out there that need more law enforcement, more attention. But we both know what why that is. It's because they get all the seizures. They get the seizures. They get the money. They get to keep this. It changes the whole economy of those little little towns, those little police towns, you know, with one. They got four patrol cars. Now they got a fleet of them, you know, because they oh, busted yeah. some meth addict, you know, and Oh, what I hear the other day, uh, two two towns over, they busted. It was a million and a half of just methamphetamines. So that's a huge epidemic. That's a big problem. It it's a big is. problem up here, probably down there too. And everywhere. Another, another thing I like people to think about with the war on drugs is we're not just talking about drug dealers and drug users that are caught up in this. We have imagine a, a legal immigrant that's just over here trying to make money, saves a bunch of money up washing dishes and is traveling and has a thousand dollars cash on him. A cop can pull him over, take that thousand dollars and say, this is drug money until you can prove it's not drug money. And, and the, the immigrant has to look at it and say, I risk deportation if I go to court. Also, the lawyer would cost more than it's worth that thousand dollars to get back. So they just let the, so the cop just gets to take money from people Le- legally. It's legal uh, highway robbery is what it is. And they do this across the country. They also do it when it is drugs. They arrest someone for cannabis. Like they did me on the way to Bonnaroo. And they say, here's the deal. You're going to pay us a $2,000 fine. And we're going to take it off your record. It's as if it never happened. All we want is your $2,000 and that's legal highway robbery. And it happens you, every day. Yeah, and it's been happening since the 70s. You look back to American Gangster with Denzel and Russell Crowe. That was based on a true story. They make you a pariah. If you don't take the money, Russell Crowe was the good guy. They seized like a million dollars and he didn't take it. He wanted to turn it in. And everybody in that police department hated him and wouldn't work with him because he was an honest cop. The rest of them were dirty. And that's the environment that's been created. And it's dangerous for us. It has. And if you look at the, the big cartel people that were supposed to be busting, the people that actually are the head of these horrible organizations, a lot of them, all they have to do is give up a certain amount of their of their profits to a bust or a seizure and then right. let them keep operating. So all right. the people that are in charge of the gangs are not getting busted, but it's the little, it's the poor people. They'll go like, hey, you're going to take this car. We're going to fill the cocaine. So to yeah, fill the tires of the cocaine. A lot of them, you know, because we don't know their names. We knew uh, Pablo Escobar's name because he could have done the same thing, but he had a problem where he liked killing people out on the street. You know, he just did like whatever he wanted, you know, and yeah. there was, they, were, they just couldn't make a deal with that guy. That wasn't gonna well, and also you've always had a situation where you have different cartels fighting each other. And if, and if one cartel pays the right DEA officer or organization the right way, they'll take out their rival to help yep, them. Exactly. And, then, and then they'll make it look like they did a great bust when they were watching what? both of them. The whole Those are kind of touched on that a little bit, right? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> complete fiction, but I mean, there's a lot of, Things in there that they they did get from reality, but the biggest you fiction, Sicario, right? From uh, Benicio oh, yeah. yeah, that's I mean, probably a little more. The, the the problem with Ozark that it, they really really blew up is is all the the murder and mayhem that happened in the United States. It doesn't happen that way, not in suburban white neighborhoods, because they know if they operated that way, they would the DEA would shut them down real fast. They don't have that. I was born when her brother died. You know, spoiler name? alert. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nah, um, uh, cousin. Yeah. Anyway. It, it was yeah. just over the top. Exactly was, right. Yeah, the whole show gets over the top. But but it is reality. They said the people that the, the Mexican cartels, like when you listen to like a president talk about 
the murderous Mexicans that are coming over across the border. Well, the true heads of these cartels who are the true murder, murderous cartel members, they, they're, when they come over here, they're not murdering people. They're living in these huge houses operating under the radar. The last thing they want is anybody looking into their shit. It's, and it's the poor, the, 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 the very poorest of the Mexicans that are coming over here with drugs that they're trying to make a little bit of money for their family that they actually will turn them in on their own cartels. They'll say, go bust them. And that'll give you some headlines in your paper. Meanwhile, we're going to move this tractor trailer full of shit right down this other road, but you're going to get this one little car. And then right. that, poor, that poor little kid's going to spend the rest of his life in prison on taxpayers' money, by the way. So you talk about wasting taxpayers' money. We need to legalize the trade. And somebody brought up a good point. Well, what do you do about these cartels? How, if you legalize the trade, then all of a sudden they can have legit business and they don't get punished. Well, we need to be less focused on punishing the wicked and more focused on how do we stop the murders from happening. If you look at alcohol companies, a lot of the big alcohol companies today actually go their profits date back all the way to prohibition when they started. And it doesn't matter because they're not killing people still. And that's what matters. They're no longer assassinating the, 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 the leader of the Miller gang doesn't go assassinate, right. you know. So that's what we got to do. Legalize the trade and figure out how we how we regulate it, you know. I mean, the fact that it hasn't happened yet does with the cartels, especially kind of shows you that they're probably putting money in pockets to people that are in our government. And that's a scary thing. But to think that doesn't happen, I think you'd have to be naive. You'd have to because we can Actually, stop terrorist attacks from happening. Take out their enemy. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just think you know when you look at like nine eleven happened and we, we beefed up our security and we haven't had anything like that ever since. You have fentanyl killing people all across the country and it keeps happening. Well, someone's letting that in, and it's not. I mean, it's a lot hard. I'm, there's not, not an exact analogy there because you know one's a little. It's gonna be harder to get you know, hijack planes than it is to bring in a, a van full of small amount because fentanyl, a, one kilo is equal to 50 kilos of heroin. The stuff. Yeah. And it's not fair because the people that aren't even fentanyl addicts and maybe take, I know a guy that took, uh, he was prescribed his annex as he needed them and he ran out and he went on the street to get some, uh, you know, get a bar or whatever. He got one that was laced with fentanyl and he died. And that's just fucked up. And that's just bad. You know, like when I told you, I was coming down, I was like, Hey, can you grab a little, uh, a little, little molly or something like that or some shrooms. I forget what we're talking about. And you're like, man, dude, I can't. And he's nowhere around because like all it is is lace with that. Now it's too dangerous to even try it. And that just blew me back, man. You know? Yeah. It's, it's on everything. I know, you don't know what you're getting. They and think, the hey, I'm going to take this cheap thing and I'm going to make this a whole lot more stronger and make more money. I know we have people dying of ecstasy right now because of fentanyl. And here's the thing. When, when it was outlawed in 1985, you could buy it before it was outlawed in 1985. You could buy it in a club with a credit card in a lot of clubs and zero right. people died from it. It's a safer drug than alcohol. Zero That's people were dying. Thing. And yet they outlawed it. And as soon as they outlawed it, other drugs started uh, infiltrating it. Like a DX was or DM was the first one was killing people. Now it's fentanyl killing people. All we have to do is give a safe supply or at very least do what Spain does. They've decriminalized and they offer government paid for testing of all drugs. And you can send in your drugs and they'll tell you exactly what's in it. And because of this, 95% of street drugs in Spain are pure. And we could do that. If you don't, you're, they're still really? gonna, profits will still be in the hands of the cartels and the gangs, but yeah. they'll be safe. That's why I say, I say regular. They want, they want to be legitimate. They do. Yeah. They don't want to have to deal with this. They have to kill people and, uh, and have to deal with the police. You know, they want to be legitimized. Yeah. So, so Matt, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you about before we, we wrap this up, because um, I wanted to get into a little bit about, because you talk about the the stigma that you feel you felt when you were an addict. And I'm wondering when you go to these clinics, do they, 
do they treat you well and as in, uh, respectful or do they talk down to you? I was surprised because they, they were very respectful. Actually, I did intake in a place in Charlotte and I met a nurse practitioner that actually brought me to tears, man. I mean, I was in a, a fragile state, you know, I think I it, it had been a couple of days, so I was real emotional. She said, you know what? It might be okay, Matt, for you to need, you need methanol and you might need to take it for the rest of your life every day. And I never thought about that. And that might be, you know, you could disagree with her or agree with her at the time. I thought that's an amazing idea. Maybe that's just what I need. But I know now that's not what I need because I got stuck in that for a long time. But man, those people really, they are great. They're great people. But the problem is this, when you get out, because I went in for uh, uh, just Roxy's early on and they put me on Suboxone or Subutex and I did the program, never failed a drug test, went down to nothing. Uh, this is like 2016, I think it was. Went down to nothing and I got out. But they, they give you no plan. They don't talk about like, hey, Matt, what got you into drugs? Like you you maybe have, are you bipolar or you're depressed? Like there was no plan for me afterwards. I had to come up with all that myself. And, and I didn't at the time. I went right back to doing Roxy's within three or four weeks. Yeah. And then they just escalated from there. And then fentanyl knocked on the door. Fentanyl is what made me go back, you know. Yeah. But I, but they, they they do treat you with respect, but not like like anywhere else. You there's still that stigma, and they still look down. You can tell you you look down upon. You're lesser than everybody well, it's, else. It's hard to uh, also their hours are weird, right? You have to be in there by a certain time, or are they? Oh, dude, they got to be there at four thirty, and they got to be there till twelve. Uh, you know, and, and Gastonia, and um, they told me that Gastonia is one of the busiest ones in the state. So it used to be a wait, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, like that, man. I'm sitting in there, I'm listening to people. They're like, "Man, you know, heroin's rough to get off of, but methadone, man, this stuff's impossible to get off of." I've been here eight years, and I've I've been there like a year at that time. And I'm like, "What?" You know, I'm like, "I got to get out of here." So I detoxed out, you know, detoxed out, and with kratom's help, I got better, man. And it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. That's great, man. I do think Kratom is a huge help and it's helped a lot of people. This is why the DEA reversed their thing because of the petition and why so many people signed the petition because it wasn't just your average people using drugs. I mean, we've had a lot of wars in the last 20 years and a lot of veterans who have come back with PTSD and are self-medicating with addictions have switched to either cannabis or Kratom. And, and if Kratom's helping you, why the hell would you take that from somebody to put them back in? Because Kratom won't make it into the streets illegally. It's not strong enough. I've not heard one story, negative story about Kratom from anybody. All I've heard is heroin addicts that got off of it, did Kratom for a year or two, and they were done. Yeah. You know And you know what? If you, if you look at the history of Kratom, it was actually outlawed, I believe, in Taiwan because they were losing too many sales of their opiates because people were quitting the more expensive opiates to switch to trade them. Did I tell you that you read that somewhere? I, I I, it I it might've been both. I think you might've yeah. told me and I looked it up. Isn't that crazy? Like that. It's like, yeah. it's insane to think that, you know, it's like one of the country that makes the most like opiates. You know, of course they don't want the thing that's going to get them off the opiates, right? Yeah, I'd like to think the creative industry is so big now that they actually have a little political sway that they could actually put up yeah. some money. Oh, there's so many different brands, man. And now you can actually read on the back what you're getting, you know, what it's going to feel like. You know, we know a lot. I mean, in the beginning, you had to go in there and talk like you were buying stuff for your plants. Yeah, now you can just go to happyhippoherbals.com and enter the offer code THEPEACE15. <laughs> a little ad. Right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's got some oh, right yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got the COVID cough. Got to say, out of all the uh, 
kratom that I've tried. This is the powder. This stuff is great. Absolutely great. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. I'm gonna be ordering some online. Very soon. I think you can order pills too. From that, yeah, I, I like capsules better. I do too. They're just easier. You don't have to do a bunch of mixing and stuff. And they take forever to put together, you know, on your own. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I think that the getting off of opiates and getting on a kratom has been a great thing. And like you said, and so here another question I have for you because you, when you said you got off methadone the first time, they didn't give you any like, like you know, continued therapy to figure out why you became addicted. The first, first time, time I got off of Subutex. Subutex, yes. So this yeah. time, now that you're off it again, and you even said when you were down here. Yeah, you're off the, the drugs that you were addicted to. You're no longer an addict on that, but you still have a lot of work to do. What are you doing to ensure that you don't end up back where you were? So I've got somebody in my life that's uh, given me a lot of support. Uh, she has two brothers that were like serious heroin addicts. They were intravenous users. You know, I never used needles or anything like that. So she saw a lot of crazy stuff coming up. So there's nothing I could tell her that that, that would uh, turn her away from me. So she's been a big support, but I realized on my own that I need to start going to meetings. You know, if I'm going to be successful, the further away I get from my addiction, uh, I forget how bad it was. It's just how our memory just goes, you know, I know that's going to happen. And I want to be in these meetings to be reminded when I, when I need it, when I, you know, just go to a meeting, you know, I've seen this before and I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. I think it's going to be something I'm going to try. And you had a good point. You said, don't go to the, the AA meetings. Well, the NA, NA, those 12 step programs are very abstinence only to the point where they'll judge you for using Kratom. They'll judge yeah. you for smoking cannabis. No, but I'm going to all- use Kratom. I use Kratom now. You know, I'm going to have a beard with my buddies every once in a while. Exactly. Um, so, so I recommend trying to find a non-abstinence only program. And a lot of the programs, like, only, that's what yeah, if you find a program of people that were opiate addicts who still will drink and use other drugs that they manage well and avoid opiates. Those are the kind of people you can relate to and want to talk to, be able to have a beer with, but yeah. not lead to, cause the problem is, well, actually like my tattoo artist talks about how he, he avoids alcohol. Cause for him, alcohol leads to cocaine leads to heroin. Um, but, um, so he just does Kratom and that's his thing. But he got judged for a, a guy saw him at a Kratom bar from an NA place. And he was like, this is bullshit. It's like, also, how'd you see me there? Like you were there motherfucker. Like, so I just, I've never been judged for Kratom. Uh, if I did, they didn't say anything. And if, if they did, I wouldn't give a shit. Well, look like, into this, the group. This, this saved me. Like, I'm functioning right now. My brother-in-law has never had an opiate problem. He uh, he wanted to get something to just give him a little extra step and a little extra, you know, through the day. And uh, he's now taking Kratom, and he loves it, you know? And he's I taking very small doses. I like the way it feels. It's, it's to in me, the it's, coffee family, man. You know, it's, 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 you can get a good, uh, a good, good rush. And it's not something that's going to incapacitate you from driving a vehicle or like doing your job good, you know? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. And I, like I said, it is kind of like coffee gives me a little energy, but it's a warmer feeling. I feel a little warm, warmth across yeah. my body. That co- coffee. What the opiate, what the, that thing that we'll never forget that the opiate did for us. That's why I would relapse for that one feeling. But Kratom takes care of that. Yeah. But do you understand, the further I get away from it, I know I need to. I need to have a plan. You know, I need, I need to do meetings or something that's going to keep me remembering how shitty that time was. And I never want to go back because right now, without a doubt, if it was laying on this table right now, it's off the table. It's not a problem. Well, let me tell you this also. If you ever do have a relapse, if it ever does happen, and I pray it doesn't, but if it does and you wake up and just feel regretful and miserable, like you might go back down the road, you can always just hop on a plane and come down and stay here for a week just to separate yourself from that relapse. Yeah. Anytime. I appreciate it, man. 
Well, one of the best things out of all this, I'm telling you, I've really not been social for a while. You know, I've just been getting back to get, getting myself together and uh, being with you and, and hearing your, your positive words that I look better, that I'm, I'm back to being me. I know you weren't, you're not going to bullshit me. So I'm not. Love, love you, bro. Thanks for that encouragement. I know you checked you in with me from day one to, to day, you know, whatever, and, and made sure I was, uh, I was okay, you know, and you yeah. worried about me. So I, I appreciate everything you've done. I love you, man. And I, and I really, I'm, I love that, that you're back. I got my friend I, back. I hate, I'd hate to have to do that for you, but if that shit ever happened, man, but I know it won't, you're too smart. Yeah. And it's not like a dumb, only dumb people get, you know, uh, addictions, but um, you've seen it, what it, it did to me. And, and that'll always be in your mind. So you, you know, well, but, I, I, like, I, I like to say it's more that I found myself in too good of a place to get there, but you never know what the, what the life, what life will throw at you. So you never can say never. Cause life it usually has happens with people who have no other alternatives, you know, right after a breakup, they move into a new house or something. You know, Things like or, that, big changes you know, in the life. Someone close, someone close to them dies. They lose somebody they love. Something like that happens, and you never could say you'll never do that. So people that, that's why I don't like the idea, like the, the stigma against drug use and the, the judgment. It's like, do you know what they've been through? You've not walked in their shoes. Like some of these kids, they lost a parent when they were super, you know, when they were in just coming of age. They lose a parent. Yeah. Can I go look in their closet? I bet yeah. you I find twenty ten things that are worse than, way worse than any drug. You know that they've done. So don't judge, don't judge me, man. Yeah. Like Brad Pitt said in uh, True Romance, you know, to James Gandolfini, he's like hitting the bong, you know, he's like, don't condescend me, man. <laughs> that was a good, uh, the Brad Pitt part. That was before man. he was like a superstar, you know, like yeah, right yeah. before. Yeah, just the stoner, the bong that was funny. I think it said that in the credits, like bong smoker. But anyway, um, I think it's really brave to you just telling your story, man, because it's, and it's important, like I say, that for people to understand that all different kinds of people yeah. go through this, you know, and I think because most people that go through this and people that get better don't ever come out and talk about they it. Don't like talk that. about it, man. And then, and then nobody got, knows. They don't realize. We have a uh, we have a uh, obligation, I believe, to 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 get our stories out because maybe somebody hears somebody talk about it and they don't identify with that person at all. But they keep we keep doing this. People like me, then there's more people for them to find and say, you know what, my story's just like that. So I can yeah. do this because you feel like you can never get out of it, that you'll have to always sneak and be this thing underneath. And I was functioning for years, man. And I was I was I didn't even know how miserable I was. You know, but now I feel things again. And it's great. That's amazing, man. I'm fucking so happy for you. And it was so much fun getting to hang out with you this week, dude. Play music. I wish we would have got in this more recording. I wish I wouldn't have got COVID. But, hey, uh, man, it's all, I, I wish you wouldn't have got COVID. But man, seriously, like we didn't get a few things, but man, I had a blast. Hell yeah. Like, I want you to come back down. Come back down this yeah. summer sometime, into the summer. End of the summer when it starts cooling down? Bet. I'll be there. <laughs> oh, so, so like November. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, hey, that's around my birthday. Maybe we can do Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, do like, that. That'll be fucking great, dude. Right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. When are you coming back up here? You coming back up here uh, during the summertime? September. September. So okay. I'll, be, I'll be in Asheville, September, and I'll be in North Carolina, like Charlotte area. That's right. October. You're going to see the show, right? Father John Misty, Nashville. I'm going to try to go that with you. You I should. Because you played the album that night, and I was like, this is good. This is okay. really good. Hell yeah, it'll be a good show. And it'll be a good time in Asheville. Yeah, Asheville is always fun. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, hey, thanks for doing the podcast, and thanks for coming yeah, and visiting, and, and I'll yeah, be bro. talking to you this week. Okay, buddy. All right, dude. Later, man. Bye. Later. Peace out. <laughs> 
All right, peace, Nicks. As always, if you like what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at the Peace on Drugs Podcast. If you want to subscribe to our newsletter, go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe. All right, we're going to let Twiggy Branches take us on out of here. Peace out. out. You pay for what you get. You pay for what you can't. Yeah.